Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is a joy. It's an amazing thing to be here. Well, Leanne and I have come, Leanne's sitting right over there, third row. We always sit right there because that's where the grandkids sit. And then, you know, my son and stuff like you, any, you grandparents know what I'm talking about. Um, we, have, we have enjoyed and been blessed and refreshed so many times worshiping here. I, my, my task at this point in my life involves going to a lot of different churches, one different one almost every Sunday. I've heard thousands of sermons and worship with a whole lot of congregations, and very few you just breathe in the goodness of God like you do here. It is a remarkable thing you've got here, and, uh, and I know that it's the Spirit's work and blessing. Uh, I would also add that having heard that many sermons and worshiped in that many churches, you've got a remarkable pastor uh, who handles God's word faithfully through his heart to you. Um, if you hadn't appreciated him lately, you, you should. And then there's this young guy that is like one-third my size in an irritating sort of a way um, <clears throat> that, that I, I can't tell you what it's like to watch your son glory in Jesus Christ. I, I, it just fills Leanne and I so much uh, to be here this morning, and I rejoice in it. Um, a few years ago, uh, this happens to us now, like about every uh, six months or so, Leanne will get into this let's organize the world mode. And about five, five years or so ago, she got super excited about, let me get the title of this right here, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Do you, you recall this? She had published, she's a Japanese lady who had published a book five years prior to the Netflix series about decluttering your life. And man, Leanne was pumped about this. She had talked to her friends and all, and she talked me into watching it with her. So she, you know, Marie's coming over to your house. This is what it's going to be like. So you, you, that's what happens. You see her knock on, ring the bell, and the camera's crews are already planted, and and she comes in and greets the family, and then she has this kind of sacred moment with the house. I won't go into that. But then she goes into this cluttered space, a closet or something, a bedroom. And the whole, if you know the condo method, it's take everything out of your closet, pile it on the bed, and then pick one item up at a time and ask, do you spark joy? Now, um, and then based on that, I'll, I'll just finish that. Based on that, you either keep it or you donate it or trash it. One of the, one of the three things. Well, you know, end of the hour, uh, the closets are decluttered. The family's happy. The dog's happy. Marie is happy and, and off to the next American home that needs decluttering. And then, of course, Leanne goes, <sighs> And we've got to, you know, I know what happens next after that. So, so just as a side note before I go on with this, 
you should know that Marie quit that Netflix series shortly after she had her first child because maintaining a tidy house. And then when her second child came along, she said, um, I've given up the uh, prospect of perfection in my home. And then when her third child was born, she said, it's just all a mess. If you don't believe me, go look it up. That's Marie Kondo these days. But I, I tell you, I was thinking about that show and shows like it um, when I was looking at our passage today. Because there's something Jesus says in Matthew 6 that just lets me know that he understands and, and grasps. We, we tend to get attached to some emotions to some conclusions, to some thoughts that don't spark joy. But man, we load the closets of our hearts up with them. And, and Christ, our Lord, wants to help us declutter, come clean, and live in freedom. Why don't you head over to Matthew chapter 6. I love that you guys, once a month... You, you speak these words, and I found out you already did this a couple of weeks ago, but no, we're going to do it again. Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 13 are super familiar with, uh, to you guys, and we're going to kind of lean into verse 12 as we go through. But let's, let's do it again. Would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to see that up on the screen if you need it. And... Uh, and speak this prayer aloud. Join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Um, amen? Amen. Be seated. So in verse 12, uh, Jesus frames reality for us. Verse 12 is that phrase that says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and he's framing a reality for us. He wants us to understand something. Uh, that happens to us all the time. Stuff. Happens to you, happens to me, has happened to you. I mean, whether you're a kid or you're a grown-up, things happen to you, things happen to people that you care about. And they're painful. Words are spoken um, that explode your world. Uh, and, and actions take place that just leave you confused and angry, and reeling, and we don't know what to do with those. They happen in a moment. We're trying to process this as it's happening, and, but we got to proceed, and we don't want to let them see us sweat. So what do we do with that? We, we stuff it. We pack that stuff in. We swallow our anger, and we shove it into some closet inside of our heart, and, and try to carry on like it didn't really mean anything to us. 
Of course, the trouble with emotions like that is uh, it doesn't just sit there. Emotional baggage festers. You notice this in your life? It certainly has happened in my life. Uh, It festers. It becomes corrosive. It becomes unstable. It leaks into other areas of our heart and life, and it doesn't stay internal. Something about it comes out in our attitude. It begins to frame the way we see and act and respond to people, some of whom have nothing to do with what hurt us. Um, Time passes, more emotional, emotional sludge is added to the closet until it can't hold it anymore. And this toxic waste just kind of can take over. I've, I've, as a pastor, I have met so many people that have entire rooms inside their house covered over with, with unresolved emotions and experiences that just took over their life. Disappointments and losses and wounds and hurts and fury, bitterness that takes over. We, we, we need to clear our closets out. And man, that can go on. I, I, I don't know, I really can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've talked to somebody and, and we'll get to the bottom of why they're so mad at everything. And it's something that happened 18 years ago. But it's still there and it's morphed into something that's, that's changed them. We got to clean the closet out. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of, and then it has this list, all bitterness and wrath and anger and fighting and slander along with every form of malice. Oh, easier said than done. Easier read than done. But in Matthew 6 verse 12, Jesus is standing at the door of my heart and yours and he's knocking. And he wants to walk in, and he wants us to pull all of that junk out of the closet and lay it down and deal with it. And you know what? He knows who wronged you. He heard what they said. He saw what they've, what they've done to you or what they've left undone for you. He understands firsthand how that feels He wants to help you clean out that clutter and be free. So, two truths this morning from that simple phrase and some other passages, okay? Two truths. Here's here's the first one from verse 12. Focus on what's captured in and forgive us our debts. I find it really interesting that Jesus uses a word for sin that kind of surprises us, debts. Why, why does he use that word? Why is that so important to him? Well, think about it like this. Somebody steals your, your wallet or your purse. They take from you what belongs to you. So when that happens... And someone does that, they owe you a debt. They not only owe you a debt, they owe society a debt for their wrongdoing. And justice 
prescribes particular penalties for those actions. Okay, so Jesus takes that concept, only he changes the focus. In verse 12, I am the thief. You, you're the thief. When I sin, I'm stealing from God what is rightly his. I am robbing him of glory. I am withholding from him my worship. I am redirecting my adoration elsewhere. I am taking from him what is rightly his, and I owe him. That's a sin debt that I owe. There are just penalties set aside for me for those actions. And here's the truth about you and me that makes it, compounds it all the more. We are multiple offenders of taking from God what is rightly his. Every day of our lives, we've done it. So the bad news in this thing, let's get that out here. Is it on my own and on your own, we all have insufficient funds to pay back the debt of our sin against the everlasting God? We will never do it on our own. In fact, Jesus, a few chapters later, and Matthew tells a story about this. Remember Matthew 18 about the king who calls in this guy that owes him an astronomical sum of money. In fact, in Jesus' story, the amount this guy owes, a servant, owes to the king is is equal to ten times the national budget of Israel in that day. I mean, it was almost a hyperbole joke, only it wasn't a joke. Because what Jesus is talking about is where you and I stand before a holy God. My sin debt has been amassing. In my case, 62 years. I'm stacking them on every day, multiple times sometimes. You are too. We stand before God, an eternal God, and our treason, our crime against him, requires a just punishment, and the punishment prescribed for stealing from an infinite God is an infinite punishment in a place the Bible calls hell. That's the bad news. And there's not a thing I can do to fix that on my own. But see now, here's the good news. And it's tucked right in there to verse 12. The good news is, for all who have repented of their sin and received Christ as their Savior, all sins forgiven. All of them. Past, present, Future, the the record that stands against you in heaven was nailed to the cross, Paul says, so that there is nothing left to to hold up against you. Is that not good news? That that is the gospel, by the way. In case you just have a moment where you think, should I be celebrating this right about now? Yes! Because if it's true for you, it's the best news you're going to hear today or any other day of your life. That I can stand before God, not fearful, but free. Not because of what I have done, but all because of what he has accomplished. 
on the cross and through the resurrection. So the good news is in one statement, 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of the most amazing things you'll ever think about that just says, for our sake God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the truth about you is that an exchange has happened. If you're a believer, he has taken every sin from your account upon himself and then died carrying it. And plus, he has credited to you his own perfect righteousness. Wow. So I stand before God, I stand before God as if I had never sinned, but had served him perfectly all the days of my life. Hallelujah. Amen? I, I mean, that, that's the glory of what's inferred and tucked into that phrase and forgive us our debts. But let's, let's ask this question real quick. So what does it mean now for me as a believer who has been forgiven of all my sins? What, is it, what happens when I sin now? Well, when I sin now... It doesn't break the relationship. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But my sin always steals something. And you can't steal from somebody and everything be roses. I, my actions, my sins... I think that's why Jesus calls them debts. He wants me to feel what my sin is doing to God. What my actions are doing. It puts a strain on the relationship. It's, it creates a distance there. He wants me to feel those things. And to recognize the hurt I'm inflicting. Father, I, I just haven't thought about it like that. When I sin against you. That, that my actions are, are taking from you what is rightly yours and the effect on you. Remember that song a few years ago that, that asked the question, does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Jesus, Jesus is wanting us to feel it and to respond to him and to say, you alone, O oh God, are worthy of my worship and all that I am. Please forgive me of my sins. That's, that's what Jesus is teaching us when we pray. Forgive us our debts. And if we seek him like that, the promise is uh, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. That's truth number one. But then like a left hook, Jesus brings this other phrase in. And here's the second truth built on the first one. It comes in verse 12. It goes like this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Mm. So... 
this is so important to Jesus that in two verses down, or one verse down from that, he expands on it. This is verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he says. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Whoa. So the Son of God makes a direct connection between the grace of forgiveness I have received at total cost to Jesus Christ, a gift given to me, and how I treat other people. And the link is so strong that we could say it kind of like this, and it's sort of the title of the message today, Forgiven People Forgive. Is a good time for a definition for forgiveness. It is an act of the will. Forgiveness is an act of a will of the will, a choice we make to release a person from any continuing obligation that their wrongdoing toward us uh, has has brought about. Any continuing obligation. And the Bible makes it plain that this is how people who have been forgiven by God. Treat those who have wronged them. They increasingly pass on to others what they have received from God. Forgiven people forgive. Now that's a piece of cake. On a day-to-day basis with all the little teeny things that just irritate you. And the nutty stuff that people do. And the inconsiderations and the interruptions and the stuff that just kind of bugs us for that long, but you and I know there's a lot more to it uh, when there's some hard things. When's the last time you prayed, Lord, please forgive me the same way I forgive other people? We would rather pray, Lord, please forgive me better than I forgive other people. Because the truth is, we do have junk in the closet. We do have emotions and things that have been done to us. Things that have wounded us. We we have all experienced strong emotions and deep wounds from when your dignity or your purity or your reputation or your dream of a happy marriage was stolen. By somebody. So it's really easy, isn't it? It's, it's so easy to rationalize holding a grudge. I tell you what, I, I've had, I've had I, can, I know this is hard to believe, I, I know. But I've had people in church do some really, really terrible things. Can you see the knives in the background? I mean, lied stole money, um, assassinated my reputation behind my back, staff members. I can see their face. Can you see the face of the person? Can you still hear the words she said? I can still see their face. I recall with incredible detail years later what transpired. And it's super easy to go, God, you know, God knows I've tried to let this go. 
It's just too much for me. And I'm waiting for him to apologize. I'm waiting on her to kind of, you know, come to me and set this right. And if I forgive her, if I just let her off the hook, she'll just do that to somebody else. It's not right that I should have to do this. I need to even the score. Someone needs to make him pay. I think God understands that. Now listen to it very carefully. You are deceived if you think God's going to go back on his word on this. You're deceived. Our excuses are really just the flesh trying to justify the bondage of bitterness that's got a hold of us. Here's the truth. Listen, listen. If you hold on to an unforgiving spirit, you will not be forgiven by God. Not because that's a condition of your salvation. It's not that, okay, if I don't forgive, then I've, I've lost it. I've forfeited it. My forgiveness earns God's forgiveness. No. It's that grace flows. I can't receive that and not, and not pass it on. It's impossible. That's what God, Jesus, what our Lord is trying to show us. Here's a clear sign that you've received Christ and his full pardon purchased for you at great sacrifice. Can you release someone from any obligation to repay you for the wound they have inflicted? Okay, so how do I do that? Because I can see their face and I can hear their words and I have tried and tried and it keeps coming up I I think I've made progress there and and then I run into them and the whole thing surges back up again how do I accomplish this we can't just go on the count of three or we would have already done it so how do I lick this how do I make it stick I want to I want to give you three things that give you the power to forgive and then we're done okay one Cherish God's forgiveness. Um, Ephesians 4, I've quoted verse 31 earlier. Here's 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what, what the... Bible is telling us is that the power for me to forgive that that couple that stole $5,000 for us, from us, and then ruined our reputation by lying about us. The power to forgive them is, is found in the way God treated me for my sins. How he responded to me. That's where the power comes. How does it work? Here's, here's how it works. Saving faith is not just a concept in my head. God in Christ has forgiven you. It's an experience I relish. We sang about it just a moment ago. When, uh, in, in the second verse of How Great Thou Art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. There's 
there's an awe that the holy God would ever look at me and let me off the hook for a tenfold sins against him. Far worse than anything anyone's ever done to me, I have done to him over and over and over again. And, and swimming in that water, receiving his grace, basking in his mercy, thinking about his love, that just doesn't leave room for a cancer-like bitterness inside me to gain a hold. It's rejoicing with him. Remember the story back in Matthew 18? The man with the incredible debt that the king forgives. Do you know the rest of the story where he goes out of the palace doors and down the steps and he spots a guy down the street here that owes him 20 bucks. And he marches right over and grabs, Jesus says, the man by the throat and chokes him and has him thrown in debtor's prison until he pays back what he owes. Something's wrong there. Imagine that back when they had Publishers Clearing House, that you get a, a doorbell ring one day and surprise, you open the door and there's a camera crew and a man with a gigantic check that says $3 million that you have just won because you sent in 1,000 entries to Publishers Clearing House to try to qualify for that crazy thing. And you think, what is going on here? How can this possibly be? And, and your eyes are rolling in all kinds of directions and your heart is beating out of your chest. You are suddenly moved from whatever you're making to a millionaire. Now just imagine, after receiving that at the front door and all the accolades and the phone and the and photographs and the publication of the story and all that, you get a call from a dude that owes you $20. The last thing you would think about, you go, what $20? Because when you've received that kind of gift, it just washes out all that stuff. When I cherish what I have received from him, what's that statement from the Gospels that says, uh, he, who is loved, uh, he who is forgiven much, Loves much. You want the power to forgive? That's where it starts. Step two, trust God's justice. Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. What's that word again? Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, okay, someone's lied about you. Or they've been unfaithful to you. Or they've let you down or rejected you or abused you. Your, your trust, your property, your reputation, your body has been violated. Among the many things that you may feel are, are these twin emotions. I don't deserve this. That's what's been done to me is unjust and wrong. And then the second emotion is the person responsible should be made to pay. Both of those feelings have to do with justice. So what do you do with those feelings? You got, you got a couple of options now. 
I have been down both. You can take option one. Option one is rehearse the hurt over and over and over again in your mind until your insides just stay on a seething boil. Just keep it going. Y'all ever done this? I, I'm just telling you I have. Where somebody really... And I have a conversation with them alone in the car. And I... Man, I'm letting them have it right there in the car. I don't know what other people are thinking, but here it comes, and I am fixing that red wagon baby. That's happening. You, you can do that kind of thing, and you can, you can think about it while you're sleeping, and you can, or while you're going to bed, and you can ponder how you're going to fix this person for what they've done to you. You can go over all of that, but just know that. Know this part. Uh, meanwhile, it's you being hardened and poisoned. And in many cases, they are oblivious to all of your... It's not doing anything to them, but it's doing terrible things to me. That's one option with those emotions. The second thing you can do is you can let the judge of the universe handle it. He, he says it. It's his claim. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So God has put himself on the line. This is his call. I've got this. You don't have it. Let me take it from here. He will see. He sees the fullness of the evil intended, and he will leave no stone unturned in establishing justice. Trust him for that. Will you? Will you let him have it? If you really want to be like Jesus, Peter, Peter gets at this. When he was reviled, remember this? 1 Peter 2.23. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, so look up here for a minute. No one wronged, Jesus, wronged you worse than Jesus. No one ever has been treated more unjustly. And no one was more innocent than was he. And Jesus, when attacked and lied about and brutalized and abused and, and all the things we can imagine, the world's sin stacked upon into his body on that tree. All of that he did not revile back. He let the judge have it. Because he's confident it's going to get handled totally. Let him have it. Trust him. Step one, cherish God's forgiveness. Step two, trust God's justice. And then the last one. Believe God's purposes. Back in Genesis 50, there's a story that comes to an amazing end. Joseph. Joseph, in that Old Testament story, betrayed by his brothers, lied about, defamed, falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned. And then a guy says, I'm going to help you out when I get my chance. And he forgets about him for two more years. I mean, along the way, Joseph had so many reasons to go, 
I have had it and just boiled down in prison until he died and become an angry, bitter, accusative, unforgiving person. And then there comes this juicy moment in Genesis 50 when suddenly he is elevated by God to the second most powerful position in the world and put in charge of uh, in a famine. And remember by an amazing turn of events in God's providence, here comes those brothers. And there's a showdown where we go, oh, this is going to be good. Because in America, revenge sells. And instead, he treats them with mercy and he hugs their neck with tears and he pulls them in close and he brings dad and the whole crew over to the land of Goshen and they are treated like kings for the rest of their life. How, how did that happen? The brothers even probably want to know. And, and there's that amazing verse in verse 20 of Genesis 50 where Joseph explains, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's that Old Testament version of Romans 8.28 that we love to quote when it's easy and then we forget when it's hard. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's not fate. That's God. Turning what was meant for ill against me into a servant to do me good. Cherish his, cherish his forgiveness and the grace that comes from that. Trust his justice. Believe. That God is up to more than you can see in the wrong that's done to you, against you. That's the power. That's where the power to forgive comes from. I wonder if right now you could complete this sentence. God, by your grace... And trusting in your justice and believing in your purposes, I choose to forgive. Who do you put in the blank? It's not a one-time thing. It's a journey. But it's got to start somewhere. Would you bow your head with me, please, this morning? God, we realize that we have some choices to make today. I don't know why you put this on my heart, but I believe in your purposes. So I think Lord, I'm certain there's someone watching at home or someone present here that's holding on to something. And they need to let the surgeon come in. We need to empty the closet and let you help us pick the pieces up one at a time. 
We need to cherish that we have not been treated according to our sins, but according to your mercy. So much that it's just impossible not to pass that on. And believe that you will see to it that justice is done. Someone, God, very likely in a crowd this size has had some awful things happen to them. Unspeakable things. Things that you don't, you don't just recover from. You're changed by them. Oh, holy God, meet us. And in your mercy, free us beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up with me if you would. Ministry teams, if you would move to the front real quick. We're going to have a good number of teams come and pray. It's been said that the person who has the greatest influence or sway in your life, the person who has the greatest influence or sway in your life is the person that you have chosen not to forgive. And this morning, Lloyd has presented an incredible word to us about the opportunity to forgive, to be forgiven. Some of you, the person who you haven't forgiven is yourself. For others of us, there have been wrongs, there have been hurts, there's been, we've got a window here, an opportunity to take maybe even the first step toward forgiveness, toward others. Maybe also today you need prayer for healing or direction or some other need, but really you want to take this step toward forgiving someone. While Craig leads us, I'm going to ask you to just come and allow one of these teams, this isn't this is just something we do here at Fullness where we give opportunity for prayer as you need it to meet with you and God and for him to do his work in, in your heart and your life. Come as we sing and just receive prayer as God directs.